Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. So this morning, we're going to be in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. If you uh, don't have a Bible, please raise your hand. We'd like to get one in your laps this morning. We'd love for you to have the Word of God with you while we go through the Word and study the Word. Romans chapter 8. We're going to talk about living your life in the power of the Holy Spirit. Power of the Holy Spirit. A lot of times the, the Holy Spirit, you know, we hear like living water, water, flowing water. And this is a, uh, this is a picture from uh, Cascades Waterfall, which is uh, near where my parents grew up in Pembroke, Virginia, uh, not far from the Virginia Tech area. We used to go up there, hike up to this waterfall. And uh, so it's such a beautiful picture, especially, you know, we're talking about all the flooding and rain and everything else going on this morning. A lot of flowing water going on around our area right now. So we're going to talk about the flowing water of the Holy Spirit this morning. Maybe you're here this morning and you're worried about, you know, what's going on in our country. Uh, maybe you're depressed about, maybe even haunted about your past, you know, constantly being brought up, reminded of what's going on in your past, what happened in your life. Maybe the current situation you're dealing with today, you know, you've got a lot on your, lot on your plate that you're dealing with uh, today. Or maybe you're just anxious about the future. You don't know what you're going to do with your life. Maybe you're here this morning and your life is perfect. I don't know. See me after this service if it is, because we're going to talk about some stuff. <laughs> like Mike said, you know, we all need prayer. We all, we all have stuff going on in our lives. So if you find yourself in the other boat, anything but perfection this morning, anything but your life being perfect this morning, Romans 8 is the answer to whatever you may be facing. Romans 8 is, I think, vital to Christian living, to living the Christian life. Because living the Christian life this day and age, it's easy, right? I mean, it's, I mean, it's so easy to be a Christian these days. Right. Martin Luther describes... Uh, Paul's letter to the Romans like this. He says, It is the most important piece of the New Testament. It is the purest gospel. It is well worth a Christian's while not only to memorize it word for word, but also to occupy himself with it daily as though it were the very daily bread of the soul. That's how important Romans is. And Romans 8, even more for us as we try to figure out how to do this Christian life. We can't do it, as you're going to find out today, apart from the Holy Spirit. So four points, if we're going to look at today, if you're a note taker, we're going to look at living life in the Spirit in contrast to living in the flesh. We're going to look at our responsibility to live in the Spirit. We're going to look at, you know, the life in the Spirit. It, it kind of helps us understand and endure suffering. Oh, wait a minute, we don't like that word. We don't like suffering as Christians, right? I'm a Christian. I'm not supposed to suffer. Right, And then we're also going to look at our triumphant victory that we have in the life of the Spirit. So we're going to read uh, just briefly here a few verses and then we'll pray and get going into the Word this morning. So Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemns sin 
in the flesh, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Let's pray one more time. Father, we thank you again so much for your word. We thank you that we have it this morning. We thank you that we get to read it, we get to study it. Lord, we pray for that fresh outpouring of your Spirit upon our lives, Lord, while we look into your word, that you will speak to each and every person here today, Father God, those that are online listening, Lord, that you would speak to us through your word today, Lord. Help us to take your word, not just to hear it, Lord, but to apply it to our very lives today. In Jesus' name, we pray all these things. Amen. Now, it's important for us to start out in verse 1. I don't think it's a mistake that Paul starts off Romans 8 with this. He says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. A simple declaration that he starts off with. No condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Since God the Father does not condemn Jesus, neither does he condemn those who are in Christ Jesus. Paul's therefore here is very important. You know, whenever you come across that, maybe you've heard that before, if you study the Word of God, whenever you come across therefore in Scripture, you should always look into and ask yourself, why is it therefore? What is it therefore? Paul is basically getting ready to have a logical argument saying all that stuff that I just talked about, I can prove what I'm saying here, what he was talking about in Romans 7. He's talking about that he's proving that if you are one in Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ is the head of your life, you cannot be condemned. You cannot be condemned. No matter what's going on in your life, no matter how bad you think your life is, no matter how rough your background was, no matter how anxious you are about the future, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Paul is answering the question from Romans 7.24. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? You see, all too often as Christians, we're looking for the next book. We're looking for the next seminar to attend. We're looking for the 5, 6, 7, 11-step program to how to live our lives, the next fad, the next diet, whatever, the Christian living, fill in the blank. Constantly in search of the how do I do this. And I would argue this morning that it's not so much the how, but the who. I'm not talking about the rock band either, okay? So a lot of you got older guys in here, you know, it's, it's not about the who this morning, okay? It's the who of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit working in our lives. And Paul starts out in our text this morning with no condemnation. It doesn't say less condemnation, okay? It doesn't say a little bit of condemnation. It is no condemnation. And then Unfortunately, many believe that, you know, their thinking is that their standing is somehow just improved by bringing Jesus Christ into their life. Is it improved when you bring Jesus Christ in your life? Absolutely. But it's not just improved. It, the idea here is that it is completely transformed. Your life is completely transformed when you bring Christ into your life. And then your, your status before God has changed from from condemnation to no condemnation. No matter, again, how bad you're feeling this morning, how rough your past was, what your current situation is, how anxious you may be about the future. You can never, if you are in Christ Jesus, you can never revert back to condemnation or even less condemnation or a little bit of condemnation. 
he says, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So it may be easier to think about the flip side of that this morning. So let's flip that argument around. If you are not in Christ Jesus, there is condemnation for you. Let me repeat that because it's very important to the nature of this verse. This flipping around. If you are not in Christ Jesus, you do not have Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, there is still condemnation for you. You're going to have to stand before God one day and give an account for your life. And without Christ in your life, condemnation is going to be the result. I like what Spurgeon says about this. He says, It is no pleasant task to us to have to speak of this matter. But who are we that we should be asking for pleasant tasks only? What God hath witnessed in Scripture is the sum and the, and the substance of what the Lord's servants are to testify to people. If you are not in Christ Jesus and are walking after the flesh, you have not escaped from condemnation. No condemnation. You see, this place, this confidence that we have, this peace that we have is due to the status of no condemnation in our lives. It ties together the thoughts of everything that Paul talked about in Romans 7. Romans 8 begins with no condemnation. In, in the middle, there's no defeat we're going to look at today, and it ends that there's no separation from Christ as we look at this. Remember, if you're, if you're bummed out, you know, you're, you're haunted about your past, you don't, you don't like your past history this morning, verse 1, there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, regardless of what your past is. We all got garbage. We all got baggage. We all are in need of a Savior. If you're worried or concerned about your current situation and what's piling up in front of you today, you don't even know how you're going to get through the rest of this day maybe. Maybe you don't know how that you're going to face what's going on in your life this week. We're going to get to verse 28 in a minute, but we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. He has a way of using everything that goes on in our lives. And maybe you're anxious again about the future. You don't know what you're going to do with your life, you know? You don't know what you're going to do. You don't know what you're going to be. You don't know where you're going. For I am persuaded, verse 38, for I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So no matter how anxious you are about what's going to happen to your life or what you're going to do, don't worry about it. He's got it all figured out already. So let's look at the second part of verse 1. A little bit of a contradiction here with the New King James Version as compared to other versions because most biblical scholars believe that the second part of verse 1, it says, who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. Uh, you know, at some point they think some copyists, as they were recording Scripture, brought that ahead from verse 4. We get there in verse 4. It's not that it is not biblical. It's just a possibility of where it falls out in Scripture. Most commentators, most biblical scholars believe that this was probably added uh, as a way they thought they could help Paul out by bringing forward Romans 4. But it's important to note that it's a little different and contradicting here because our position 
putting our faith, hope, and trust in Jesus Christ, being in Jesus Christ, that is the reason for our standing of no condemnation. And that alone, it has nothing to do, has nothing to do with the conditional argument on our part of us doing something to make sure that we earn that condemnation in some way or some, somehow. I mean, thanks and praise be to the Lord this morning that it has nothing to do with me trying to earn my way to no condemnation. No condemnation. It is a free gift that we are given. We receive it by, because really, we deserve condemnation. If you think of the flip side of that, we deserve condemnation. But because of what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross, we have now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So the first point we're going to look at is life in the spirit contrasted with life in the flesh. Let's look at verse 2. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Verse 3. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. On account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So, verse 2, the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. You see, the law of sin and death was strong, absolute law. Every sin we've ever committed, we're going to commit, all those things, they're evident that it leads to death. Most of us probably passed cemeteries here on our way here this morning. You see the evidence of the fall of man every day when we drive past a cemetery. The going death rate is 10 in 10, in case you guys didn't know. Okay? That is the requirement of what happened from Adam sinning in the garden, Adam and Eve in the garden. Death is the end result to not being able to fulfill the law. We are, however, as we're told here, we are free from the law of sin. Again, if you are in Christ Jesus. The Christian does not have to sin because he is freed from sin. I'm not saying we are sinless, but we don't have to because we are freed from the power of sin in our lives because of what Christ has done on the cross for us. Galatians 5 verse 1 and uh, I don't have the New International Version, the NIV Version, but it says it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. A yoke of slavery. The bondage of sin. A yoke of slavery. Romans 8.1 tells us that we are free from the guilt of sin. Romans 8.2 tells us that we are free from the power of sin. And now we're going to look at verse 3. Notice it says, For what the law could not do, in that it was weak. I, I think we can all agree that the law can do a lot of stuff, right? I mean, the law of God, it, it can guide us. It can, it can teach us. gives us principles. lets us know more about God's character. But the law, in and of itself, can do nothing to give energy to our flesh. It can give us the standard, right? Do this, don't do that. Do this, don't do that. Gives us standard, right? 
but it cannot give us power. There is no power in the law. And that's why he says here, in that it was weak through the flesh. The law is weak because the law speaks to our flesh. The law speaks to a list of do's and don'ts. You know, and the, they, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they had like 613 do's and don'ts, all of them speaking to our flesh. I mean, they had hand-washing ceremonies. Probably a good thing we need that right now because of the flu going around. Just saying, wash your hands, people. Okay? Now, it has nothing to do with the, it's all about the flesh. It's all about our work of the flesh. Fleshly men speaking to fleshly things, but the work of the Spirit in your life is what transforms you. That's what transforms the old man into the new man. Notice in verse 3 again, for what the law could not do and that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending His own Son. You see, the law could not defeat sin. It was a temporary covering. They sacrificed animals. It was a temporary covering. It could not defeat sin. It could only detect sin. You see, the law is our schoolmaster, Galatians 3.24. Therefore, the law was our tutor, our schoolmaster, to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. You see, the law could not defeat sin. It could not conquer sin. It could only detect sin in our lives and show us or point us to a need for a Savior. What do I mean by that? Well, maybe you hear this morning like, you know, you shall not lie. Law, right? You shall not steal. Law. Shall not commit adultery. That's a law. Well, I've never stolen anything. How dare you call me a thief? Have you ever even taken a pen from your workplace? You guys probably have pens in your Bibles that say Calvary Chapel on them. You thought those were free, didn't you? Yeah. Doesn't matter the value. I'm not talking Grand Theft Auto here, okay? If you've ever stolen anything, what does that make you? A thief. The Bible goes on to say about adultery that even if you look at a woman in lust, you commit adultery in your heart. Jesus expounded on that law in the Sermon on the Mount. How are we doing so far? That's just two of them. You know? And the Bible says that if you are guilty in one point of the law, you're guilty in all. So you see that the, by, by the measure of the law, our standing is what? Condemnation. Condemnation. That's why we need a Savior. And he did so in verse 3 by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. God loved us so much that he knew in order for sin to be defeated, he had to have Jesus identify with those who were bound by it. You and me. All creation bound by it. All of man is bound by it. And he did so, and he carefully words, he says, coming in the likeness of sinful flesh. Paul carefully chooses his words here, indicating that Jesus was not sinful flesh, but he identified with it entirely. He could not say that Jesus came in the likeness of flesh because he was really 
human, he was also just like a human. But we can say that Jesus came in the likeness of sinful flesh because although he came as a human, he was not sinful himself. And he says there in verse 3, he condemned sin in the flesh. Sin was condemned in the flesh of Jesus Christ when he bore all of our condemnation that we so rightly deserved on the cross at Calvary. He took it all, bore it all, paid for it all. Now again, your status this morning is no condemnation if, big if there, you are in Christ Jesus. You see, the righteous requirement of the law, it says in verse 4, the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, now it says, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. You see, Jesus fulfilled the righteous requirement of the law, and because we are in Christ Jesus, we fulfill the law because of Him in us, not because of anything we do on our own merit, or in our own strength, or by following law, or fulfilling law. It was all because of what Jesus did and the full-blown punishment of condemnation being poured out on him on the cross at Calvary. Notice Paul again, so eloquently and so carefully by the leading and guiding of the Holy Spirit says that the righteous requirement of the law is fulfilled in us, not by us. Very important, big difference there. Simply put, Jesus is our substitute. Jesus was treated as a sinner and the punishment of God poured out on him so that you and I can be treated as righteousness. So we get to the second part of the verse, again, where it probably and most likely originally appeared in the manuscript, verse 4, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. The people who get to enjoy these benefits. It says, who do not walk according to the flesh. It's marked by a life of obedience to the Spirit, not obedience to the flesh. God wants the Spirit to rule over our flesh. Rule over our flesh, not follow after our flesh. God wants the Spirit to rule over our flesh. You know, when we allow the flesh to reign over the Spirit, you know, we find ourselves bound, trapped in sin, sinful patterns, desperation, locking up the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, freezing the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. You know, when, when I was little, you know, my dad took our family. We went up to this, this same waterfall. We went up to this same water. It's, it's like a two-mile like two hike up to this waterfall, okay? But it was a great walk. It's about minus 10. And we walk up there, and this is what we find. Granted, that is beautiful, right? I mean, amazing to see that that same waterfall could be completely frozen over. Sadly, Christians do this with the Holy Spirit in their lives every day. They freeze the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives. Not allowing, the not allowing the Spirit to flow through them. And what do we do? We succumb to the power of the flesh. We say, I got this, God. I got it. I don't need you in my life right now. And we freeze 
the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, and we result to following after our flesh. We result in entertaining our flesh, falling to the power of our flesh instead of being led and guide, guided by the Spirit. You see, our, our walk, okay, that's just, you know, Christianese, you know, for, for the pattern of our life, our walk as believers, our, you know, Christianese for how is your life being played out must be and was always supposed to be according to the Spirit and not according to the flesh. So what does that mean for us practically this morning? How do we take all this and practically apply this to our own lives? Simply put, you know, walking in the Spirit, you know, the course of our lives, the direction, the progress, is being led by the Holy Spirit. It's a continual process. It's a progressive motion. Don't freeze the Holy Spirit in your life. Everything. He wants to be a part of every part of your life. Even the simple stuff that we think, oh, okay, God, I got this. I got this. I can handle this on my own. He wants to be a part of every area of your life. Spurgeon says, observe carefully that the flesh is there. He does not walk after it, but it is there. It is there striving. It is there warring, vexing, grieving. And it will be there until we are taken up into heaven. It is there as an alien and a detested force. And not there so as to have dominion over him. He does not walk after it nor practically obey it. He does not accept it as his guide nor allow it to drive him into rebellion. The power of the flesh in our lives. We will never be able to get rid of it until the Lord returns and gives us our new body and we're in heaven. But now, here and now, that is the constant battle between for a Christian is the battle of our flesh. Battling our flesh. Life in the Spirit contrasted with life in the flesh. How are you doing this morning? Pretty good? Yeah? All right. To further emphasize his point, look at verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Did you catch the simple test in there in verse 5? Where is your mind at this morning? See, a lot of Christians think that the battleground is here, you know, here, here and now. You know, we need to go picket something. We need to go do, need to do something. The battleground is in the mind of a believer. Starts there. Many of you are probably already thinking, what am I going to have for lunch today? Hmm. What, when can I take my Sunday afternoon nap? You know, I mean, I just got to get home, flip on the tube. Maybe I should look at my phone and reply back to all those texts and posts I'm missing out on right now, you know? And just examples, of course, right? But our, we, can so, we can be so easily distracted and led and guided and controlled by our flesh if we're not careful. 
Did you know, where is your mind at this morning? It all starts in your mind. The mind is the strategic battlefield where the flesh and the spirit begin to fight. All too often, again, we think that the battleground is here. You know, picketing this, going to anti this, going to this anti that rally. Paul here tells us that the battleground begins in the mind. It starts with our thoughts. What are we allowing in? What are we allowing to entertain those thoughts? What thoughts are we entertaining? Notice, we might think that, oh, this is just a harmless thing, you know. I mean, eating is good, you know. Eating, I got to eat to live. Eating, what's wrong with thinking about food? Look at verse 6. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. You know, when our minds are set on the things of the flesh, where it says there to be, to be carnally minded, what we do, we open up the door. We open up the door. We open up the gates. We take the barriers down. And we invite in and we usher some evil stuff into our life. No, what does it say there? It says we enter and allow and we usher in death into our lives. That's the seriousness of it, folks, as Christians. That's what we do when we allow and entertain those thoughts in our mind instead of crushing those thoughts. Walking in the Spirit, did you catch it says, it brings life and peace. We must be on guard against that false spirituality too, you know. Paul doesn't mean that, you know, the the flesh so much as an instrument in our rebellion against God. That's not what he's talking about here. There are normal physical needs. We all have to eat. We all have to sleep. Right? The examples I gave, you know, Nothing really wrong with those things, right? It's only the sinful gratification and exploitation of those things. Is it leading your life? Does food control your life? Does sleep control your life? Fill in the blank of anything in the flesh. Is it controlling and leading your life? Are you listening to the power of the Holy Spirit in your life? The difference there. Notice at the end of verse 7, it says, because the carnal mind... The fleshly mind, our thoughts, is enmity against God. The flesh battles against God because it does not want to be crucified. Crucifying our flesh is not fun. It is painful. We don't like to do it. Our flesh does not want to be surrendered to anything. When your body gets hungry, what does it do? It causes pain down in this area. And starts to even growl at you and make noise to remind you that you need to do something about it. When you get tired, you get like bags and stuff under your eyes. What is that for? I don't know. But your body, your flesh reminds you that, hey, you're, you're holding back something from me that I need right now. It's called sleep. I'm going to make your mind go a little crazy, you know. You guys ever stayed up more than 24 hours? See what happens to you. Yeah. You cannot think a clear thought after 24 hours of staying up. There's a reason for that because your body is telling you, your flesh is telling you, hey, you're starving me of something here. And when we succumb to and we live a life after the flesh, that's all we do. 
We go this way. We go that way. We go over here. We go over there. And we're following the desires and fulfilling the desires of our flesh rather than fulfilling the will of God in our lives and succumbing to the power of the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5.24 Should not be so with Christians. Those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. You see, we have the power already in our lives by the power of the Holy Spirit to crucify that flesh, to tell your body no, to tell your flesh no. The battle to tame the flesh. Anybody here see that, you know, do you recognize now that the law is powerless? The law has no power over that. Paul didn't say that the carnal mind is at enmity with God. He put it more strongly that it is enmity against God. Again, I love Spurgeon. He, he, he has a way of putting these things into words that are just incomprehensible almost. This is what he says about it. He says, it is not black, but blackness. It is not at enmity, but enmity itself. It is not corrupt, but corruption. It is not rebellious, but rebellion. It is not wicked, but wickedness itself. The heart, though it be deceitful, is the positively deceit. It is evil in the concrete, sin in the essence. It is the distillation. It is the quintessence of all things that are vile. It is not envious against God. It is envy. And it is not enmity. It is actual enmity. You see, that is the seriousness of, of the flesh. Leading a life after the flesh goes completely against what God wants to do in your life. Completely. It's not subject to the law of God, it says in verse 7, nor indeed can be. We can try to do good, you know. Maybe that's how you, maybe you came to Christ because of that. Oh, I'm just a good person. I'm good. I do I don't do I'm not as bad as that guy, you know. I don't do what he does. I mean, you see those guys in jail. I don't do what those guys do, right? And then somehow we hope to kind of weigh out, you know, the good and the bad, you know, and like little teetering scale of how we weigh things. Not at all. We were on our first mission trip, and we were going uh, down to Peru, and there was this older gentleman there, and him and his wife, they were going there for vacation. And uh, we were talking to him, you know, everybody's fired up. We're on a witness, we're going, man, we're going to witness to everybody and the brother. You know, we're, on a, we're on a mission trip, we're, on a, we're there. So we start talking to this guy, Wes, and he says, well, you know, I kind of hear what you're saying. You were telling him about the gospel and leading him through there. And I kind of hear what you're saying, but, you know, I just kind of, he has a little nice little dress suit on. I keep, you know, the angel, angel God in this pocket over here, and I keep Satan in this pocket over here. And as long as everything weighs out, I'm good. That is what you're putting your eternal salvation in. Is that right there? That's in First Thessalonians, by the way, just so you know. If you ever want to look that up, according to Wes, that's what you got to do. That goes against what the Word of God says, okay, just so you know. The flesh, in the flesh, we cannot please God. Bottom line, in the flesh, we cannot please God. We can do religious stuff. We can do lots of religious things that are admired by men. God says he wants to spew them out of his mouth. We need to make sure that we are living a life after the Spirit. So our responsibility is to live in the Spirit. Look at verse 9. 
But you, make it personal, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. Since the Holy Spirit is given to each believer when they are born again, when you choose, again, that's Christianese for just inviting inviting Christ into your life and saying, no more am I going to follow after my own self. I'm going to follow after you in my life. Being born again, Every Christian has within themselves the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, which is much more powerful than our flesh. You are already equipped today, Christian, to battle the flesh. You don't need a seminar. You don't need a book. You don't need anything else. You don't need a five-step, ten-step program. You are already equipped. You just got to use it and allow it to flow through you and not frees up the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. He says also in verse 9, now if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, again, here's the contrast, he is not his. If you don't have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. Maybe you've heard uh, the, you know, the misnomer, you know, well, to divide Christians between Spirit-filled Christians and non-Spirit-filled Christians. You know, that is simply not biblical. There's no such thing. If you are a Christian, you are a Spirit-filled Christian because the Bible tells us that when we are saved, the Spirit of God is in you. If you're not Spirit-filled, you're not saved. You're not a Christian. Now, we can quench the Spirit. We can freeze the Spirit in our lives as believers because we take on and follow after the flesh. But it's futile for us to kind of argue that. It's also futile for us to really argue with the world when they do certain things that go against the word of God, as if by somehow they're just going to morally accept and follow in to what's going on? They can't. They can't. They are not spirit-filled. Don't expect the world to just all of a sudden start following and being moral or whatever we like to say in our country. Most Christians miss out on living a Christian life And being constantly filled with the Spirit because they're constantly not being filled with the Spirit, as Paul commands us to. So how do you know? How do you know? Get the practical application here. How do you know if I have the Spirit? Another practical test. Ask yourself these questions. Has the Spirit led me to Jesus? Did the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit draws you to Christ? Has the Spirit put me Has the Spirit put in me the desire to honor Jesus? In light of everything that He has done for us, does the Spirit put a desire in your life to honor Him with every area, with every aspect of your life? Is the Spirit leading me to be more like Jesus? Are you becoming more like Him or something else? Are you becoming more like your friends, your co-workers, or whatever? Fill in the blank. Is the Spirit at work in my heart and at work in my life? Am I listening to it? It's one thing to be convicted. It's another thing to do something about the conviction. Okay? Being convicted is the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. Doing something about it is being obedient to what He's telling you to do. Not being obedient is freezing the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. Listen to the conviction, Christian. Maybe you answered no to some of those things. You don't know. 
take a serious look at your life today. Find out, where is your standing with Christ? You need to answer that. Are you in Christ or are you not? Don't, don't leave here this morning without answering those questions. Talk to somebody after the service. After your, if you have any uncertainty about that, if you answered no or I don't know, or talk to someone about it. And if you did answer yes to those questions, praise God. Praise God. Look at verse 10. He says, and if the Spirit of Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin. Since Jesus lives in us, the old man, the old body is dead. But what do we like to do? We like to freeze the Holy Spirit. We follow after the flesh because it's so nice. We like the feeling stuff of the flesh. And we sit there and we perform CPR on the dead corpse. And we try to, we, we hook up the paddles and boom, bring him back to life. We like to bring the flesh back to life. When here in verse 10 it tells us, because the Spirit of Christ is in you, the body is dead. Dead. Don't quit trying to, quit trying to revive the old man. Quit trying to revive the old self. Put that stuff down. Leave him dead. Leave him in the grave. Walk away from it. That's the beauty of the picture of water baptism. When we go into the water, we leave all that garbage there. And when we come up out of the water, we, the new man is there. That's the picture of baptism. Leaving it dead in the grave. Leaving that body dead because we are now alive in Christ. Again, and that's why as Christians, if we have accepted Christ into our lives, notice that I said accepted. He's not going to force it on you. He's not going to put you in a headlock or a full Nelson and then force it into you. He's not going to do that. That's our part. That's it. We just have to accept. That's our part in it. You have to be willing to allow him into your life. If not, you're not in Christ condemnation still waits for you. Don't wait. Our responsibility is to live in the Spirit. Our debt is to the Spirit, not to the flesh. Look at verse 12. Therefore, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. Verse 13. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. The consequence ultimately is death. But, Verse 13, if you live by the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. It is clearly black and white. It is clearly black and white. There's no gray area. There's no several ways to God. It's black and white. He's not going to force it on you. You have to accept him. So living in the Spirit means that we get to live as children of God, sons of God. Verse 14, for as many as are led by the Spirit, these are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father, being called a son of God. It's only fitting that sons of God should also be led by the Spirit of God. But it's not a precondition. We first have to become a son of God by putting our faith, hope, and trust in Jesus Christ, then being led. Did you notice that Paul said here, he did, he did not say, as many as go to church, these are the sons of God. He didn't say that, did he? 
He didn't say as many as read their Bibles. These are the sons of God. These right here. He didn't say as many as take communion. These that go to confession. These are sons of God. He didn't say that, right? He didn't say as many are as patriotic Americans. These are sons of God. He didn't say that, did he? The test for sonship, the exam, the test, the quiz for sonship in God is whether or not a person is being led by the Holy Spirit. Are you being led by the Holy Spirit? How does the Spirit lead us? He guides us. He draws us. You know, he's, he, should be the governing authority. he should be the governing authority in your life. And we should cooperate and follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. But what do we do? We can quench it if we're not careful. Follow the leading. Notice it does not say that those that are driven by the Spirit of God. The devil is the driver. He's the one that will drive you into things that you do not want to. He'll drive you to death ultimately. We need to be leading. We need to be following the lead of the Holy Spirit following his leading. Where does the Spirit lead us? It leads us to repentance. It leads us to think little about ourselves and more about Jesus. It leads us to truth. It leads us to love. It leads us to holiness. It leads us to usefulness. I just don't feel like I'm being used by God. You know, I don't... Are you being led by the Spirit? You're being led by the Spirit. He'll use you in ways that you have no idea you could ever be used. So I'm standing up here today because of that, okay? It's only because of the power of Christ in my life that I'm standing up here today. He says, verse 15, you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. As a child of God, it is intimate. It is a joyful relationship with God. Not like the bondage of fear demonstrated by law, demonstrated by the flesh. Those all lead to fear and ultimately death. So the life in the Spirit also makes us understand and endure suffering. Look at verse 18. I love how Paul puts it there. He says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Paul was not ignorant ignorant or blind to sufferings. I mean, he, he experienced just about more suffering because of his faith in what he did probably than any of us will ever go through. All too often, we're caught up with our present sufferings, right? I mentioned that earlier, you know. You know, we, we talk about we're worried, we're con- so consumed and concerned about what's going on right in front of us. Or a little bit into the future, what's your two-year plan? You know, what, hey, what's your five-year plan, you know? What's your 401k look like? You know, what are you going to do for retirement? How are you going to do retirement? You know, uh, look it up later, uh, and I'll show you a quick slide about it. Francis Chan has a really cool illustration about this on YouTube. Um, He uses a rope. You know, he throws it out across the stage, and there's this little tiny piece of red tape on there, right? That rope represents eternity. That little red piece of tape, you know what that is? That's your life. The Bible tells us that our life is but a vapor. But a vapor when it comes to eternity. 
Yet all of us are so concerned about that little red piece of tape. Little concern about what's going to happen in eternity. Where you're going to spend eternity. Where's my family going to spend eternity? Where are my children going to spend eternity? Where are my coworkers going to spend eternity? Where are my neighbors going to spend eternity? Well, I don't want to offend anybody. I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. What if I tell them, you know, that they need Christ in their life and then they don't like me? Do you see the seriousness of it? It's black and white. When that little red tape, when the sliver of that red tape ends, you don't get to make that choice anymore. And when that ends, guess what? No one knows when that is. No one knows when that's going to end. It could end before I finish talking. It could end on the way home today in a car accident. You don't know, don't wait to make the choice of where you're going to spend eternity and quit worrying about right, what's right in front of you. He's got it all figured out. Don't worry about your two-year plan, your five-year plan. Put your face to the ground and he'll show you. Follow the leading and guiding of your Holy Spirit. Don't worry about those things. That's why we get to endure. We get to endure suffering. You know, we, uh, a lot of times we don't like to talk about suffering as believers and discipline as believers. But we are, go through those things and experience those things because he loves us so much. You know, God does not ignore our physical bodies and the whole plan of redemption, right? He has a plan for that. When this corruptible body puts on incorruptible, when he returns for us. I don't know about you, but I can't wait for that day. I'm excited about that day. The day that the, the red tape ends and the rest of that brown rope continues. Being in eternity with him. We're going to move on because we're running out of time. You know, I suggested earlier that maybe, you know, this morning you're feeling worried about or concerned about your current situation. Look at verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called, the called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. All things. We know all things work together for good. Did you notice it says all things there? Not some things. Not a few of the things. You know, they all work together for good. Not, they don't work in isolation. You know, again, a lot of times we think of what's going on in our lives. I'm being punished by God for some reason because I did this or that. You know, this trial that's going on in my life. He's disciplining you because he loves you. He doesn't want you to stray. He doesn't want you to go off. Just like my wife and I, we, we discipline our children. I don't, we don't take pleasure in it, but I do it because we love them. My wife and I, we do it because we love them. Christ, you know, God, God does that to us as well. He disciplines us because he loves us. We go through trials because he loves us. If he didn't love us, 
He let us do whatever we want, right? He let us go after our flesh. He let us go down that rabbit trail that leads to death. But Just like my children, I don't want them to have to suffer and experience all that. I'm going to discipline them along the way. Raise them up in the nurture and admission of the Lord, as the word says. The same is true with our walk with the Lord. The end result, the end goal it, for us as believers, look at verse 29, if you missed it there, for that we can be conformed to the image of his son. He disciplines us to conform us to the image of his son, to be more like Christ, to be more like Jesus. This is essential for the eternal plan. This is the plan that he has for us all along, is to help us become more like Christ, to be more Christ-like. Something that he does, you know, it, it's not like he's going to force it on you either. We have to willingly allow that change and that transformation to take place in our lives. So hopefully we have a better understanding of, about suffering as believers and why we endure suffering. He, wants, he doesn't want us to get off that path of leading, the leading and guiding of the Holy Spirit. Final point is that, you know, our triumphant victory that we have in life in the Spirit. Paul wraps up Romans 8. In verse 31, he says, What shall we say then? What then shall we say of these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Man, how powerful is that? If God is for us, who can be against us? If all we had were the first few chapters of the book of Romans, man, we would feel like we're in trouble. and We would feel like God's just going to beat us down continually. Paul reminds us now, God went to great lengths to save man from his wrath. And equip us, again, you're already equipped for victory over sin and death. Who can, who can doubt that? I mean, God being for us. Now, a lot of men say that, right? A lot of men say that God is with them, God's for them, right? Many, many terrorists we've seen Man, they, they commit horrible crimes saying that God is with them and for them, right? Nevertheless, the Holy Spirit, you know, guards this statement with a little if there, you know, if God is for us. I don't think God's for them, you know, just saying, just throwing that out there. And you're going to blow yourself up in the name of God. I don't, don't really think he's with you, just saying. My opinion, take it for what you think, okay? If God is for us, who can be against us? Evidence that God is for us. Look at verse 32. He says, Who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? He did not spare his son. He sent us the ultimate gift in his son, Jesus Christ, by paying the full-blown price that we so rightly deserved we deserve that condemnation but he gave us the gift of his son so that we didn't have to take on that and now our status is no condemnation look at verse 33 who shall bring a charge against god's elect it is god who justifies who is he who condemns it is christ who died and furthermore also risen even who is even at the right hand of god who also makes intercession for us who 
shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Who can bring a charge against God's elect? You see, we are declared not guilty if you have Christ in you. When God looks on you, day of judgment, he's going to see his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus is going to be there and say, you know what? I paid for this one. This one's mine. If not, condemnation still waits for you. On judgment day, there's not going to be Christ there as your advocate saying, I paid for this one. He's like, I don't know that one. I don't know that one. And you're going to stand on your own before God. And have to answer how you lived up to his holy and perfect law. And I think we already went over that earlier. None of us can do that. None of us can stand before God against his holy law. All along, his law was just a schoolmaster to lead us to Christ. Notice in verse 37, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. No matter what you're going through, no matter what your circumstances are, no matter how bad you think your past was, how hard of a life you thought you had, current suffering, present suffering, anxiety about the future, you are more than a conqueror because of him who loved us. We can conquer more. He can, through him, he, we can conquer the current situation. We can put to death the old man and quit trying, you know, turn the CPR machine off, okay? Turn the AED off. Quit, quit trying to revive the old man. Those thoughts come into your mind, and Satan likes to remind us of how we used to be. Get behind me, Satan. Get behind me, Satan. That old man is dead. I buried that old man. If you're anxious about the future, anxious about what's going to happen, he's already got it figured out. You remember the rope? He's already got all that figured out. Don't be so concerned about the little red tape. Be concerned about what happens at the end of the red tape. He will help us overcome. So this morning, we looked at four main things. A life in the spirit contrasted with a life in the flesh. Being spirit-led, we're guided, we're flowing, we're following, we're running after him, we're allowing him to do that work in our life. The conviction, we're listening to the conviction, not ignoring it, not quenching it, not freezing it, as opposed to the life in the flesh when we are fulfilling our selfish desires, the sinful gratification of those selfish desires. When that living water, the Holy Spirit, becomes frozen in our lives. Our responsibility is to live in the Spirit, to take up our cross daily, 
and walk with him, remember, you are already empowered. You are already equipped, Christian, with the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. We're going to go through suffering. We're going to go through trial. We're going to go through those things. But the end result is to conform us more into the image of his son. Don't worry so much about the red tape and what you're going through. You know, think about what's going to happen at the end of that with your family, your coworkers, your friends. Desire to continually be conformed to the image of his son. You cannot go wrong with that. The triumph and victory that we have in the life, you know, if God is for us, man, who can be against us? Remember, we are more than conquerors because of the power of the Holy Spirit that is in us. And I'm telling you, do not leave here this morning unless you're sure of your salvation. Unless you're sure of your standing in Christ. If you were to die right now, would Jesus be your advocate? Or would you be standing before God on your own? If the answer is the latter, where you're going to be standing before God on your own, you're in trouble. You're going to face condemnation in eternity in hell. Don't live another day of your life without Christ in your life. Invite him in. He's not going to force his way in. He's not going to strong arm you. He's not going to beat you. You have to allow him in. So don't leave here today if you have not made that choice. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much, Lord, for the power of your spirit that we have, Lord, the living water, the fresh, flowing, living water of your spirit in our lives, Lord. Thank you that you left us your guide, Lord, that you, you went away and you promised us the power of your spirit that will be there, Lord. Thank you that we are already equipped, Lord. Help us to take up our cross, Lord. Help us to take up our responsibility and listen to the leading and guiding of the Holy Spirit in our lives, Lord. Help us to beat down the flesh, Lord. The sinful gratification of our selfish desires and our fleshly desires. And follow after you. Let us not freeze the Spirit in our lives. Thank you, Lord, that you are on our side. Thank you, Lord, that if you are for us, no one can be against us. Your word will stand today. It will stand tomorrow. It will stand forever. Thank you, Lord, for your word that we looked at this morning. Equip us all today, Lord, to go out by the power of your spirit, Lord. Empty us of ourselves, Lord. Fill us afresh to do your will in our lives. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll be up here to pray for you uh, at the end after we close in some song. Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.